Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and I are friends and also automotive journalists, and that's what makes this podcast really work, right, Ben? Yeah, if you say so. Yeah, friendship's <laughs> the glue. That's right. Um, ben, why don't we just get it, go ahead and tell people where they can find your latest work. Well, you can find my work at The Drive, at Motor Trend, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. That is so many places. I know, it's so many. I'm so, I'm so eager to share them. Um, are you okay there? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Did you fall out of your chair? No, my chair was in danger of collapsing, but I have righted the ship. Are you just doing the podcast standing up now? I'm doing it on one leg, as I normally do. That's my custom. It keeps me okay. focused. Well, that's that's handy. Ben, it's something I learned in dance college, which is a yeah. real, which is a real thing, and those bursaries and scholarships were real too. I'm, uh, I mean, no one's disappointed with how you spent that money. No one's disappointed except for all those teachers who believed in me, <laughs> and they still believe in you, Ben. Don't disappoint them. Well, with the this ones who episode st- of the podcast, the ones who are still living. Oh no, it was a long time ben, ago. <laughs> Let's talk about something you did recently, which is drive a new Mercedes-Benz E-Class. And I think this is important to bring up because you drove an E-Class last week, didn't you? Yeah, so I want to – don't worry. It's not going to be unnamed E-Class podcast for the rest of the year. This is the second E-Class in a row, but I think it's the the last one for a little while. Uh, I drove – whereas last week it was the wagon, this week it's a convertible, Sammy. It's the E450 formatic cabriolet. So it's a four-wheel drive – turbocharged, six-cylinder, I guess mid-size convertible. It's interesting because as we were talking about before we started recording, this is a segment where there aren't really a lot of competitors anymore. I guess there's, is, is the S5 still convertible still out there? And it's it's even that is not quite as big as the E-Class. So with the 6 Series gone, it's kind of in a, in a league of its own, I think. That's right. Um, I'm not sure if the... Let me double check. I was... No, but even the S, S5 is, is, is not the same size, so... It's it's definitely uh, with the six series yeah. out there, and the eight series is like twenty grand more. This vehicle starts at seventy four thousand for, for the wow. formatic version, and if you want like a rear wheel drive eight class, or sorry, eight series, it's ninety four grand, <laughs> which is Holy totally moly. a huge amount of money. I mean, I like that vehicle, but it's a huge amount of money. And the S five convertible is uh, sixty grand. Okay. So there's, again, so, pretty big price differential here. You can only so as opposed to last week where we had where we talked about three different options at that wag, uh, speedy wagon. Um, yeah, you had the Audi, Porsche, and Mercedes. For now, if you, you want a mid- have, if you want a midsize, yeah, convertible. You, you there's ten to twenty thousand dollar differences between them all, basically suggesting they don't play with each other. So this is a totally different E-Class than the one from last week. And there's things I really, really like about it, Sammy. The coolest aspect of this car is it has the new straight-six engine from Mercedes. Uh, It's 362 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. It has a 9-speed automatic transmission that's not being asked to deal with nearly as much aggression as the the AMG that I drove. Uh, Mm. But the, the cool thing about this motor is it is incredibly smooth. Just 
accelerating on the highway, it feels limitless. It's just going, going, going. The, the, this acceleration builds like a surge. But even off the line, it really has a torquey pull that you didn't get necessarily from V6 engines of the same size or even twin turbo V6 engines. So this is it's not a performance car by any stretch of the imagination. But it's also not light, and it's relatively quick given its, you know, mid-size proportions. I'm going to expose my ignorance a little bit, but um, as far as I remember, Mercedes' last V6 engines and turbocharged V6 engines, there was nothing wrong with them, was there? No, there was nothing wrong, but they, they've gone to this 3-liter straight 6 and matched it with their 48-volt uh, they call it a mild hybrid, but it's it's really kind of more of an, a, a much larger starter, I guess. But, You're seeing right through that claim. <laughs> well, it, it gives you 21 extra horsepower and 184, 184 pound-feet of torque, but I think like that only happens off the line. So it's nice in that the handoff between this 48-volt uh, starter generator thing and the twin turbo, it masks any kind of turbo lag you would have. It's just a really smooth experience that felt super luxurious. Like, I got in this car, and this car is, I I have to say, floaty. It is not really connected to the road. Like, I'm not saying it's it's it feels unsafe. I'm saying you're, you're really insulated. You're in this kind of, like, high-sided convertible luxury tank thing that it really feels like an S-Class convertible from four or five years ago, which is amazing considering the price point and the fact that it's an E-Class. So the the way the engine contributes to that high-end experience is something I really appreciated. That makes sense to me. Um, beyond that, like I think the biggest concerns about uh, convertibles is that they're not the most uh, spacious or practical. Um, they may not look attractive with the roof up. They're usually pricey, and they can feel a bit like uh, what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Just floaty or or not very engaging to drive. Well, that's what I just said. I mean, but that's what it's for. This car is not a sports car. It's for someone who wants to occasionally have the top down, enjoy the wind in their hair, and not really have to worry about driving. Uh, it's it's a car that is comfortable in almost every situation. You could go on a really long road trip in this with a friend uh, and not really worry about um, getting fatigued or anything like that. You don't have to. It doesn't have a super loud exhaust note that's blaring all the time and irritating your neighbors or you're droning in your ear with the top down. Um, it has a an air deflector system integrated into the windshield, uh, like the windshield frame, as well as a pop up behind the rear seats. So you can get a reasonably calm cabin in there as long as there's no crosswind when you're at highway speeds. It's overall a very impressive convertible for its size. As I mentioned before, not a lot else out there in the midsize segment, certainly not at this price point. And uh, it's it's not a car, you know, this is a car that has a specific demographic, and I think that those people will love it. Cool. Um, Tell me about your your driving experience. I mean, is the cabin plush? Is it... uh... Does it feel like a Mercedes? And you know, you've mentioned the the, the powertrain um, and and the design. Now, tell me more. Well, I mean, it, to me, it felt like an S class. It really felt like that's an S class from four that's or five. Good, that's a very good thing to say. To like not a modern, a not the current S class, but from four or five years ago. Just in terms of how solid the size of it, the the general character of how it drove. And yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good place for the E class to be now. What's interesting is it's a formatic, right? So it's all wheel drive. I'm not sure, you know, we've been so trained to require all-wheel drive now as a safety thing for not just bad weather, but also year-round When if you live in an area that has snow. 
So Mercedes is kind of taking the gamble that people who buy this vehicle are going to drive it year round. Um, mm. the, the top is actually fairly well insulated compared to some other convertibles out there. And it looks decent with the top up. Mine was a silver. Te- my test vehicle was silver with like a blue top. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't look terrible. Um, so I guess there is a small portion of people who will drive this as their only car all year round. I'm not sure how many uh, sales they'll get up north, though. That's right. That, I, I don't think they're the most popular here. Um, how much was this thing again? 75, 70? about 75 grand. And that's the starting price for a formatic. If you want rear wheel drive, it's a, it's somewhat cheaper. And there's, uh, I, I'm not sure if there's an E-class, if there's an AMG version. I'm going to double check on that. And did you find the usability of the vehicle? I mean, again, last, last week you complained about, uh, the funny little nubs on the, or, or track pads and the steering wheel and the, all of that all the... is, all of that is still there. So the M-Buck system oh. is, is still in this vehicle. It has a somewhat different track pad. It's not quite as into, it's, it's, it's a little smaller. Uh, huh. Then the I don't know why I mean I thought that this would be updated at the same time as the other car as the other E class, but it's the same general overall experience. So the frustrations you're going to have with the little nubs on the steering wheel are going to be there. Uh, the difference is is it's not an AMG. There is an e- AMG E53 version of the Cabriolet, but since Ooh. it's not a super hard, this isn't a hardcore driver's car. It doesn't have those little um, circle type selectors like the little the knobs yeah the knob the nubs that were hanging down off of the veins okay interesting again with this interesting uh, swear jar that we have i've racked up like 45 dollars already what's funny is so mercedes actually offers six different convertibles there's a c-class which is like 54 grand there's the e-class which we said it starts at 71 for a real world drive 75 for the one i had the s-class is 140,000 Wow. So those are the three four-passenger cars that it offers that with the top-down. Mm-hmm. If you want a Roadster, there's three of those, too. There's the SLC, which is 50 grand, the SL, which is 91, and then the AMG GT, which is 130. So, But two of those, the SLC and the SL, they're kind of dated. Like, they're not that... They're not that fresh. Sure, sure. Uh, but the AMG GT is a fantastic car that everyone oh, yeah, should the drive. AMG, it's so sweet. Uh, but it's interesting that there's a, there's a Roadster... And at almost every price point, the only place the SL and the E Class Cabriolet don't really match up, mm-hmm. like price wise, because of the performance aspect of the cars. But uh, the C Class and the SLC, they're they're roughly the same price. They're within four grand of each other, you know. And the the S Class Cab and the AMG GT Cabriolet are within ten grand of each other, which at that price point is only like seven eight percent difference. So they've really got the full spread covered. Mercedes is determined to own the convertible market. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is that gap. There is a, a slight gap. Do you think that, from what I understand, a new SL might be on the way, and do you think they'll reduce the price on it to make it kind of match up with the E-Class? Or? No, I don't think Mercedes will ever reduce the price on anything. I think it's an upward <laughs> march. And it's not just Mercedes. I think any car company is keeping up with inflation and wanting to do the best they can to increase uh, average transaction prices. So I don't really see a discount coming on the SL. All right. Anything else you want to talk about with this car? Just... Want to do you miss being in? Do you miss being in a convertible? I mean, it, sometimes it feels like all we drive are crossovers, and it's, sometimes getting into a car is like refreshing. It's refreshing because a convertible is a car that you don't buy casually. Like you bought this car because you want the top to come down, and you paid a premium for that. For a crossover, it's a vehicle you might have bought just because you need to put your family in it, 
or because it was affordable and fit your budget, or because you needed something practical with cargo space. But there's nothing really practical, especially about a four-seat convertible, where the back seats are there, but you're rarely going to use them. So it's cool to drive a car that's aimed at a specific, like the AMG from last week. This is aimed at a very specific buyer, and it's not ashamed of that. And, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the podcast, how there are not very many mid-sized convertibles out there. It mm-hmm. seems like Mercedes is cool with the idea of, you know, having a low-volume car like this, like the low-volume performance wagon, and selling it to people who want it instead of just filling a white space. Yeah, I think that makes sense. They they do have... Look, I'll, I'll be honest. They have so many cars in their lineup. They yes. Have, and, and cars that just showed up at a nowhere. The GLB. Have you heard of this car before? And the GLBB and the DDLBG. <laughs> I know all about it, Sammy. There's just so many. And then coupe versions of other things. And that I don't know. It's like they have a car for everyone. But they also um, so they do fill white space. But they have cars that don't. And that's yeah. that's nice. You know, it's not it's not designed by committee at Mercedes Benz across the board. It's they're willing to maintain traditional segments that are not as popular as they once were. You mean like the G Wagon? Sure, but the G Wagon is such a high profit vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I miss the G Wagon. I need to get myself in one again. Um, all right, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that I think that pretty much covers it. I, I think I, you know if, if you're looking for a very comfortable luxury convertible, this is something you need to try. If you're looking for something that's engaging to drive, you will be disappointed. That's not what this is about. So go in with those expectations. Uh, you're getting a comfortable mile eater that you can commute in with the top down and get a sunburn, which I might have done, and no. uh, you'll be happy with that mindset. I think. I remember uh, one one year I had a mini convertible. And uh, I just b- bought one of those spray sun uh, sunscreens, and yeah. I just had it in the in the in the cup holder, and I sprayed it on every time I was like every like half hour or an hour or so, and that was like a life changer. That's and, your and, that's Sammy's um, convertible tips for you there. And, and when you got out of the seat, did it leave like a Sammy a Sammy silhouette, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. spray over spray? Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to give an update on your Jeep, didn't you? Wow, that on the spot. Yeah. So, do you or do you not want to? We well, can cut this. I mean, we usually try to cut things, but we don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I, we did the first oil change. I've probably driven it 3,000 miles at this point, I think. I don't know because my speedometer and odometer are not connected because I need an adapter that will translate the um, the digital signal from my new transmission into the spinning cable. That the- wait, wait. Time out, Ben. Tell if, in case somebody has tuned into the podcast like last week, uh, and they're, they they want to know a little bit, what is this Jeep? Okay, what are you talking so, about here. So what I have a, a 1987 Jeep Grand Wagoneer, which is the the big old full size Jeep with the wood on the sides. Not and the new Wagoneer. No, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, but no, the old Wagoneer, the original Wagoneer, and I've swapped in a 5.3 liter LS V8 from a 2008 Tahoe. And it was a whole thing. It took a full year. The pandemic didn't help. We ran into all sorts of problems and troubles and whatever. Basically, but, every step of the way, there was a problem. Yeah. And there's a, I did a full series on it for Haggerty and a few other clients. Uh, so if you want to follow along with the misery that was this project, you can go to Haggerty and just look up my author page, Benjamin Hunting. It'll be there. Anyway, uh, 
the Jeep was finally kind of – it's finished in a lot of ways. It's just missing the front drive shaft with where we had a problem with the people who manufactured it. They used the wrong uh, connection adapter. So we did the measurements this week to get the the, the new one in. Um, and when it was in the shop, I've been driving it probably about 3,000 miles like I mentioned. And I haven't had any problems. So we decided to do an oil change. First oil change because you got to put brake-in miles on the motor because mm-hmm. the motor was completely rebuilt. The oil that came out was not great. Uh, it was – it had a weird milky texture but not the texture – not the milkiness you associate when you get coolant in your oil. Yeah. It was something else. There was a grit inside of it and we ended up cutting open the oil filter and taking the, the filter media out and uh, there was like a sludge and it's a non-metallic sludge. So it's not like there's something grinding up inside the engine. And we couldn't fi- we can't figure out exactly what it is. We've had a lot of suggestions. Uh some people said, "Oh, it's maybe sandblasting media left over from when the crankcase was done." Mm-hmm. The shop that did the lower uh, lower end assembly doesn't do sandblasting, so that's not what it is. Um it's also possible that this is like a Molly engine assembly lube. That has just okay. collected in the filter. If that's the case, that's the best case scenario because it's yeah. not really going to do it. might l- extend the amount of time it takes for the rings to seat. But other than that, it shouldn't cause any damage. The plan now is I'm going on a road trip with it this weekend. We're going to put some more miles on it and then do another oil change and see what comes out this time. And if it's bad, then we might drop the pan, see what's going on there. Uh, anyway, it's never great when you like – do an oil change and something strange is in the There's oil. There's a mystery, right. You don't yeah. like it when your car is presenting a mystery. And a lot of people have been like, oh, why don't you send it to that company that analyzes oil? And it's like, dude, I need the answers more than, like, sooner huh. than that. Like, that's the kind of thing maybe I'll do if this continues to be a thing. The other thing is the oil pressure is good on the motor. It runs great. No problems. Power is fine. So it's not really impacting anything. Uh, it shouldn't really cause any damage, whatever it is. The filter seems to have grabbed a lot of it. But, you know, it's it's just alarming. Uh, I see. Um, if you have an idea, uh, dear listener, if you have an idea on what or you want to share a suggestion, maybe it's some sort of uh, intergalactic goo that got into his car. Um, send us a send us a message. Ben would love to hear your ideas, right? Yeah, I'm always open to ideas about goo. I mean, <laughs> gosh, we should really watch out about this. Um, for the last half of this week's podcast, I just want to talk about cars, Ben. I just want to talk about what's been going on in the industry, the the recent cars that are coming up. Um, it feels like things are getting, um, like the reveals are happening much sooner. There's a lot of interesting cars coming around, uh, EVs, uh, off-road vehicles, performance cars. There's all sorts of things happening. I just wanted to hear, uh, if I wanted to share thoughts with you on Would you say it's an interesting time, yeah, Sammy? it is an intriguing time to, to be following this industry. Um, I think... I would love to circle back on one of the conversations that you had earlier this year, which was the Mustang Mach-E. A lot of people were really curious about this, um, and the result is that it seems like a very competent EV, but nothing beyond that. Is that fair to say? Well, I mean, we talked about it at length. Where are you going with this? Nothing. I just want to recap. That's all. Like, oh. it's our highlight reel now. <laughs> wow. I feel like, so our careers are over, and it's just highlight reel season? Yeah. It's summer. Come on, let us do some low-quality content for the people. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> if I was a podcast listener and I heard you say low-quality content, I would feel betrayed, shocked, abandoned, all of those things. Okay, fine. Um, then what about cars that you're really looking forward to trying out? You mentioned 
the new Wagoneer, which has approximately 40 screens in it. Um, I'm also curious about the the uh, Ford Bronco, right? Like, this is a car that I think uh, there's a lot of curiosity surrounding it. How is it going to be for Ford to tackle Wrang- the, the Jeep Wrangler, right? I, how much of a market is there really for the Wrangler and the Bronco against each other? Like, how many people are out there wanting both or either of those vehicles? And how many people who already have a Wrangler are going to be peeled away to the Bronco? Like, I think it might be unrealistic for Ford to expect to match Wrangler sales. I agree with you, but at the same time, Ford is taking it way more seriously than I would have thought. They're going to start making dealerships that cater to the Bronco clientele. What does Um, that mean? uh, uh, Like, say that, say that, pretend we're not in a marketing meeting, (laughs) and I want you to repeat that. Say, basically, they want a specific retail experience or purchasing experience bespoke special for anyone who's going to buy a car with the word bronco on it okay i so mean the bronco sport and the bronco legit unsport legitimate um will be side by side in a little uh storefront and people can you know hum and haw over them and then take one home so as opposed s- to putting one next to like we said the maki or the escape or the f-150 or something like that so you're saying that like bronco owners are going to have to mingle with bronco sport owners that's unacceptable to me unacceptable um i was also wondering if um it it, it, it just seems i don't know this i i just can't the jeep wrangler is so popular like that's my that's my thought right like if you were going to go after a vehicle um, that is one of the most popular in the industry. It's iconic. Um, you have to you have to be very very good at it. And from what I understand, it is very good. But I don't know if that's enough. Well, I still, think Ford right? is really counting on the idea that the on road experience of the Bronco is going to be much better than the Wrangler, and that's going to help them sell it. So you know, so many Wranglers, a large portion of Wranglers are off roaded. A large portion of Wranglers are also bought by people who just want to look like they off road. And I think. The Bronco being able to be smoother on-road and uh, I hesitate to say offer more modern powertrains because as we talked about recently with the Wrangler Hybrid, uh, there's there's really cool stuff going on at Jeep right now. But I think Ford is really positioning themselves to the daily driver crowd who want to look tough and the bonus is it will actually be tough off-road as well. So it's kind of a lifestyle play, I think. Well, I mean, it's important that we talk about the new things that Jeep has going on. Um, last, uh, actually, this month they talked about they had an old EV day, and this is something that I think is important because Stellantis, the parent company of Jeep, um, doesn't have a lot of, uh, of a, doesn't have a very strong foothold in the world of electrified vehicles, does it? But it's getting there. Um, it, they have the uh, Jeep 4xe, Wrangler 4xe that you and I both drove. Um, it has the Pacifica plug-in hybrid as well, but it's about time they get some full EV vehicles, and they've already promised an EV version of the Ram 1500, as well as a Dodge performance car, and some more Jeeps and stuff like that. So, uh, it, it's just interesting to see that um, that decision and those these movements going across uh, the industry. Uh, you know, it, it, the problem with, with FCA is that it takes money to do all those things. Mm-hmm. and they haven't historically had a lot of that development money. So it's hard for them to catch up to companies that have. 
This is tough. Um, the Ram is probably the, the Ram and the Wrangler are their biggest money makers, I guess. Uh, I would think. Well, maybe not necessarily the Wrangler, but Jeep in general. I would say, yeah. Okay. And that is fueling the more of those they sell, the the more success their their other divisions might be might be receiving. Right? Like we've always said this about Porsche and the what's that car called? The Cayenne. As long as they keep selling those, they can make the rest of their sports cars um, and make them well, right? Yeah, we'll see. But Porsche is also a much smaller company. Right. Much, much, much smaller. But it is a division of a giant company. Exactly. So their, their situation is, I think, a little different. Right. Um, I also wanted to discuss subscriptions. Not for the podcast. We're not doing that yet. But Whoa, um, yet? Wait a minute. What? Oh, right. I don't know. We haven't really talked about it ever. Okay, so. better. Um. Have you heard about subscription models for features? Yeah, I think it's absurd. I think any company that's going to expect me to pay every year to have my heated seats activated uh, is... I think that's a really terrible path to go down. I think there is nothing excusable about that business model. How do we stop this from becoming a reality? We can't. We can't. So what do we do now? We just accept this really unfair uh, situation we're put in? So for people who are not familiar maybe with what Sammy's talking about, there have been some okay. companies that have talked about moving to a subscription model for certain features. And that would mean that let's say you get a BMW 3 Series and you want you want to have a certain safety feature. You want to have a certain luxury feature. It's in the car, but you can't access it unless you pay them a yearly fee. And so this has been thought about with like I think BMW and wireless Apple CarPlay or heated seats. And now recently, Mercedes' new electric flagship sedan, the EQS, will apparently offer a full version of its rear. Like, this makes no sense. But in in other markets, their car comes with rear-wheel steering. The standard version turns, I think, 17 – sorry, 7 degrees in the rear. But if you pay the full subscription, you get the full 14 degrees of articulation. I don't think anyone cares about how many degrees of (laughs) rear-wheel steering they have. I feel like that's, like, the most (laughs) – that's like something you choose to test out your subscription because 0.01% of your customers will experiment with it. That's just my opinion. So that's why I wanted to bring it up because to me, it just seems dumb. Like it doesn't seem to make any sense. No, but I mean, car companies do make dumb choices. So we can't – ultimately, they want to make money. If If executives are convinced that subscriptions for features are a way to do that, they'll try it. And the only way you can uh, put an end to it is by not buying those vehicles. That's, that's really kind of how it works. It's the market has to speak. If people, you know, are willing to do it and it just becomes another fee, like you have Netflix and you have Disney Plus and you have Paramount and you have Hulu or whatever it is. And it's like that for your car now. You have all these monthly charges or yearly charges that you don't remember about, but you're too lazy to call the company and figure out what's going on. I mean, yeah, maybe they're counting on a little inertia. It's like satellite radio. How many people just have a satellite radio subscription that, you know, it it extends every year and maybe they don't listen to it. And now it's like that with your heated seats. It's like, I don't sit in the back, but the seats are heated and I pay for that. Um, there was like this, this thought process that occurred to me is like, First of all, when I buy, if I sell my EQS with the full rear steering, rear steering. And now you're paying for someone else's features because you <laughs> yeah. can't, once you're in, it's like a magazine and you can't ever get out. And then let's say 20 years down the line, like is Mercedes going to allow someone to keep getting this feature for 20, like they're paying for 20 years down the line? Um, 
like is there a server somewhere that that it like licenses and and makes that handshake over all that time or will mercedes some one day say that like handshake is is obsolete you don't be able to pay for this feature or get this feature or do they just unlock it for everybody and those who are patient and held out on buying the feature to suddenly get it and are amazed that overnight their car has improved its its turning radius. So something. you're talking about like <laughs> the idea that these features might become freeware or something in the future. Yeah, that's essentially it. It's or like I can go app. on a torrent site and I can get like a USB code <laughs> no, that I can stick no. in and then I can just like hack the features. No, I, I truly believe that when the next generation EQS, if there is a next generation EQS, Mercedes might not be as interested in maintaining that system and being like, yeah, okay, it's for everybody now. Like, yeah, that would be sure. weird. For sure. No, I, could, I, I totally get what you're saying. But I also think there will be a third party of, like, people who try to hack these things and try to circumvent, you know, sort of uh, the, the, the warranty here. I mean, people have always tried to... Um, tune flash ecus or anything like that to get more performance out of their vehicles what's to say that you can't just unlock the full rear wheel steering or whatever the feature yeah, is i, I right? mean and people have been hacking satellite tv for like decades so if there's a market for that then surely an aftermarket for cars will happen did you ever meet one of these people in school they're like oh my, come come over to my house after school we've got the card or whatever it is in our in our cable bus there was a period of years in my 20s where i was pretty into that whole hacking scene <laughs> And you're like, I, you have so much TV. And now it's like, there's too, there is too much. There, there is, is such too a thing much as, TV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm now unable to think of it. That is perfect. I mean... Is that, is that bad? Is that a really bad situation to be in? It's only if you think that planning a show that other people enjoy is something that's important. <laughs> I see. Um... It was about oh man, I've I've completely lost it. I guess we're ending the podcast now, okay, Ben? Okay, that's fine. I mean, we could just wrap it up on your. Um, I mean, I, I was speaking earlier in the last episode about how I completely forgot about a vehicle that I drove, <laughs> and not even a year ago. So I think it's okay if you forgot about something you wanted to talk about that probably wasn't that important to you, and probably you didn't drive and write about and enjoy. How awful. Okay, well, let's tell people where they can find our podcast, Ben. What do you say? Sure. If you want to find our podcast, there's lots of ways to do that. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and you can find – we have links to the most popular podcasters there. We're on every service you can imagine, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, all that good stuff. You can also find us by searching for us on that service. If you do find us and subscribe, please leave a comment or like us or however it works on your podcatcher because that really helps other people find our podcast. And we assure you that not every episode is a a, uh, late July, early August kind of midsummer type of episode where Sammy is perhaps not 100% associating. That's not fair. I'm trying my best here. It's been a long summer. Um, additionally, you can uh, get in touch with us on social media. Did we mention that already? No, we did not. So we should say people, we should tell I'm going to tell people where they can get in touch with us. Uh, first of all, you find Ben on Instagram. He's at huntingbenjamin. Uh, that's where you can find out, you can get in touch with him about his mystery goo in his car. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And um, additionally, you can you should contact us on the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. I'm also going to talk to you about our Ko-Fi, even though after listening to this episode, you probably might not want to contribute to our Ko-Fi pay, uh, page, which is understandable. But Might be we'll so make negative, more Sammy. <laughs> 
Um, it does help us keep the lights on, although we do record our podcast in complete um, darkness. Like but, bats. But we do use candlelight nowadays. I and if you, I'm a traditionalist. It's just pure bat cave. Look, if you contribute, we'll be able to get scented candles. Guano dropping on my nice. face. Glorious guano. So it's ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. Um, that's where you'll find us. Yeah, and there's a link in the uh, show notes for that because it is an odd URL. Um, additionally, Ben, what do you want to talk about next week? Ooh, next week I'll be talking about whatever you want to talk about, Sammy. Next week I'm going to be talking about the new Defender. It's called the Defender 90, which is not a relate not related to what year it came out. It's actually a 2022, but it's called the Defender 90, and it has two doors. And uh, I don't know what the 90 is. I think it's about the wheelbase or something. And that's how you describe cars nowadays. All right. Well, and until then, thank you for listening. All right. Bye.